All right, well, welcome everybody. My name is Tom Miller. It's Thursday. It's time for our weekly school leader community call. And with me as always is my partner, Katie Reidenauer and strategic partner, Rhonda Dillingham from the North County Association for Public Charter Schools. And so this call is focused always on trying to provide the most impeccable and consistent information, just like Mary Jo just shared with us from the Learning Center. That's our goal. We're going to try to help you as best as we can to make the best decisions based upon the knowns and the unknowns of what your return to school plan is, what it looks like. This past uh, week, we've, we've received uh, lots of information from the Department of uh, Public Instruction and Health and Humane Services. Uh, there's a lot of information to swallow. So what we thought we would do today um, is, uh, is to really think through in buckets, right? In our buckets and our people buckets and our calendar buckets and our operation bucket. What are the things that we need answered to be able to make decisions? Now, we're not gonna have all the answers, right? And like Donald Rumsfeld said, there's knowns and there's unknowns and there's known unknowns and unknown knowns. And you're expected to somehow know them all. And so we know you don't need to know all the answers now, but yeah. what you can just focus on is, well, what do I know? And so the one thing that we definitely know for sure, if you have taken a look at this um, lighting the, uh, <clears throat> lighting the, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. What is it? Lighting the plant forward? Lighting, lighting, lighting the way, forward. way forward. Thanks, Rhonda. You're always the best. <laughs> There's three specific plans. There's either reopening plan A, which is school open full capacity with minimal social distancing. Plan B, which is moderate social distancing with a 50% with a occupancy or completely closed under remote. So these are the three knowns. And Katie just shared with me that uh, by July 1st, the governor is supposed to announce which of these plans is most likely, right? Or just saying schools won't open on time. So with that in mind, now you have knowns, okay? And I think we've known these three. Now we don't know some, some you know, components of A and B, which are, well, what if you know, parents decide not to come? Or how do I you know, collect ADM under remote learning? Now, those are the things that are coming, but you can begin to plan those based upon you know, policies that already exist. And we found a virtual charter schools have a policy for remote learning of how they you know, track attendance and do their ADM. And so there's things coming. We can be assured that they will come. Um, and you can start to plan around as far as your known is. These are the three knowns for sure. So I'm gonna open the floor here. And what I'm gonna ask is that you drop your question into the chat so we can put your you know, question here in the forefront to make sure either Rhonda, I think Lisa Gordon-Stella is with us today, Acadia is uh, with us uh, for a finance and student services. I think Steve Joyner's team is on with us for anything technology and the insurance people. So there's lots of people here, plus all the other leaders. I don't know how many people are on the call right now. All these other principals have insight. So there's no question that is off the table. All right, and if you don't ask your question, you're not gonna get it answered. Even if you think it's a low level question, it may not be a low level question. Our success will only be determined based upon the questions we're willing to ask and answer in life. So with that in mind, uh, Katie, is there anything immediately in the chat box that we can start dropping in here? 
Not yet. I'm waiting. I'm watching. All right. And uh, all right. So I'm going to open up to Rhonda. I know you got some specific announcements that you want to share about uh, Jumpstart and maybe some other things. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I told Tom and Katie earlier, like you, I'm jug, juggling all this different information, these different documents, the CDC guidance, the Jumpstart guidance, the, um, the new Lighting Our Way Forward document, which is 116 pages long if you haven't checked it out. And it'll take me a while to uh, definitely digest that. But uh, that was shared today at the State Board of Education called meeting and uh, that was adopted. It's based on the CDC guidance and the CDC guidance basically lays out three plans for schools and that is plan A that's um, being back in the building with moderate minimal social distancing. Plan B is moderate social distancing. So the first is minimal, the second is moderate. That means 50%. And then plan C is remote learning only. And we're supposed to get a decision on this by July 1st from the governor's office. And I can tell you that some of you might be concerned with parents who might not want to send their children back even though <clears throat> you know they according to whatever plan we have they are supposed to and i can tell you that from the association's perspective if a district or a district school allows remote learning then we're going to die on that hill for charter schools too we're going to do our very best to make sure that your ADM is not affected. Second thing I wanted to share from the State Board of Education meeting today is that the COVID-19, um, which was BizOp 2 on their agenda today, COVID-19 Recovery Act, that's the funding for devices and connectivity issues, that was approved for 38 million four hundred forty eight thousand dollars and that is divided up into five different buckets a million dollars for bus wi-fi eleven million dollars for home and community wi-fi ten million for contracting mental health professionals one point four hundred forty eight for learning management system and then fifteen million for grants for exceptional children's services Again, this is information that I'll have to dig into a little bit. Some of it I noticed, for example, said that public school units would uh, need to apply to get the funding. Uh, so for example, the mobile Wi-Fi for school buses, that document says eligible public school units, that means charter schools, may apply for funds through the digital teaching and learning division. So some of it you would get automatically, some of it you have to apply for. Again, I'll have to uh, go back and take a hard look at that to be able to parse that out. But um, yeah, and that's, that's what I have for you so far. <laughs> Great, Rhonda. Well, lots, of, lots of questions coming in through the chat, Tom. Yeah, I know yeah. you're, I see him. I, I see you copying them there. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to drop them into these uh, buckets, right? We talked about safety and culture and policy as a bucket. We've mm -hmm. talked about um, 
attendance as a bucket and finances as a bucket. So all these pieces. So um, I want to make sure, I think Rhonda, you talked a little bit about this with the jumpstart um, where there was a question about e-procurement and jumpstart funds, how they can be utilized. And if that's not Rhonda, maybe uh, Acadia has that answer about how do we utilize jumpstart funds and how do we utilize e-procurement and the better understanding of the state contracts for cleaning supplies. Yeah, I think that's a good Acadia North Star question. Hey, Tom. Hey, Amanda. Hey. Um, well, I can give a little bit of information on the Jumpstart funds and looking at the chart of accounts, the Jumpstart program, to my understanding, is going to be very similar to like uh, the PRC 016 summer reading program. Um, so it's going to be used if you are running the Jumpstart program or summer learning as they're calling it, you're going to use it for like your salary. Um, if you have to provide transportation for the kids, if you have to provide meals for the kids, all those are eligible expenses under PRC 121, which is the summer learning program. So it's the PRC 121, not the 036, is that what you said, Amanda? 121, correct. Okay. And then what about if they wanted to buy like technology or, or add, add to their programming or technology? Is that, do you know if that's able to be used? Um, the only technology, I'm looking at the chart of accounts right now, is salary based. So I don't see anything on here for technology supplies. Um, again, the only thing that I'm seeing is for uh, salary. Right, so it's basically an extension of your already operational current school day, nothing as a bonus. Correct, yep. and um, one thing they did mention is that it's, it's not supposed to be run during your regular school time, so it is truly supposed to be um, during the summer. That's right, or the off time, right? If I guess if you're out of school. Correct. So I keep thinking about it as almost like compensatory services for students with disabilities, those kind of rules, right? Not, not within a typical school day. That is correct. Yeah. All right, how about, um, there was a question, Amanda, about better understanding of the state contracts for cleaning supplies. That I don't have any information on, Tom. Okay. That's I know in the, um, in that, that guiding document that came out that sounds like a soap opera. Um, they did talk about, uh, they did give a list of the supplies that schools should order, you know, like five masks per child, 10, five masks per teacher, but I didn't see any links as far as state contracts. I was also confused. This is Maria. I was confused by um, that number of masks that would be required is it, was that per week? Was that per month? That was a little bit confusing to me. Yeah, I, I found that confusing as well. Like how often are you supposed to replace them? You know, was it, they didn't offer, I didn't see any guidance on that Maria either. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, that would make a really big difference, right? Sure. If that was five masks per staff member, per student, per week, Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Lisa's recommend, you know, saying there's probably CDC guidance on there. I'll see what I can find. So, 
So Amanda, there's a couple more finance questions. Do you know about this e this e procurement? And if you don't, maybe I wonder if 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 Olivia is on um, with Steve Joyner Consulting to answer that. And Annette, can you clarify your EC question? Is it like, are you talking about the jumpstart time or just in general, like fully operational time? Um, I'm not sure that this is Olivia, um, that we really have an answer for the e-procurement. Is that for like the PRC line items that were for the technology? Is that what you're asking about, uh, Maria? Well, my question was just in regard to the number required. My question was not the e-procurement one. That was somebody else. Oh, sorry. So is that all the finance questions, uh, Katie? Yes, those are okay. all the ones. Oh, there was a question. Um, when Rhonda was talking about money, someone asked, was that the money that was supposed to be for devices as well? Well, I think, you know, my understanding when they were supposed to vote on it last week, the answer was yes. But what I see in today's state board agenda and what was approved was for what I mentioned before, bus Wi-Fi, home and community Wi-Fi, mental health professionals, learning management systems that is referring to uh, systems like Canvas uh, and grants for exceptional children's services. So there's nothing in there about devices. Okay. And then I saw somebody else, uh, I was just gonna say, I saw somebody else put a question in there too about um, is whatever decision is made by July 1st by the governor's office, um, will that apply to all schools? And my answer would be yes. I don't think he's going to make a distinction between different types of uh, public school units. Okay. Yep. And I think back to the exceptional children's question, you know, I wonder because the money is always a year behind in terms of uh, students that are entitled, so they wouldn't be on your headcount. Uh, so therefore, it's probably a special state reserve and risk pool fund situation would be my guess. I don't know, but we can check back on that, though. But that would be my guess, only because it's always so far behind, but federal money. So Tom, I wanted to hop back to the question about the masks. Uh, Lisa Gordon-Stella, what would you like to add about masks uh, for the conversation? Yeah, so it depends on the type of mask. Um, if you're using disposable masks that you can you know, get, procure at this point, even on Amazon, those masks only have a very short shelf life. Um, when you are done using the masks, um, masks should be placed in a paper bag for 24 to 48 hours before reuse. Um, if you're using a cloth mask, the same would go, would be true, but you can wash a cloth mask where you can't wash one of those paper masks. Um, the CDC has guidance on this. I can tell you most of my knowledge base comes because my husband is a physician and we have 
So masks that, and we have a protocol in our house on how we have to use the masks based on what he is being told and what they're doing in the healthcare um, world um, because they were under such a shortage for a while. Um, but how you treat masks and how many you need depends on the type of mask that it is. Um, and, and so I would, you know, sort of come up with a plan. Are you going to source them so that they're in a box like Kleenexes and, you know, every day kids get it and then the kid has a little, um, you know, old school paper bag that they put it in and um, put it back in their backpack or whatever it is and then take it out the next day or um, are you going to send kids home with, with um, cloth masks? Um, so there's not like the perfect answer for, for masks, but not all masks are created equal. And really the whole goal of the mask is to reduce the spread from people who are infected. It doesn't do much to protect you. Um, um, the, the, the reverse, it, 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 it keeps the germs in for those who are infected, um, or at least just trying to do that. Um, and then someone posted, what if someone's getting, if someone has allergies or sick? So there is guidelines about if somebody is not able to wear a mask because of something like that, then they, you don't want ever to have a mask that would obstruct anyone's breathing, um, obviously, which is why certain activities are, masks would also be inappropriate for. Um, it is difficult. If you have allergies or you have, you know, just normal everyday things, masks do get, you know, they're not usable anymore necessarily. Um, so that's why thinking about you do disposable versus, you know, something that could be um, reused and then um, washed, but that, you know, they all have their pluses and minuses. Yeah, Lisa, you know, you know, I think, you know, one important thing that we're missing, right, and, and we're, we're worried about step 15 when we don't, we haven't done step one and two. And one of the keys here is that half of the globe is in school right now. And so, you know, be uh, paying attention to what's happening over there. Uh, we've, you know, we've hosted a call with a principal from Australia, and we're going to check back, you know, in with him in a month or so to see how it's going. But it's such an important piece to if you want to improve your current you know, strategy plan, ask someone who's coming back from it, right? So the one thing that we know for sure is we have to provide safety materials. You know, we're going to have to figure out social distancing, but we're going to figure it out faster when kids are actually on campus compared to when they're not. Uh, so the more proactive things we can put in place, obviously, the better. Uh, but you know, definitely just, just be very careful about you know, going too deep down the rabbit holes and, and, and not allowing the bigger uh, picture to at least start to fall into place, uh, you know, through your planning. Um, so Lisa, there is a part here that I think is a really good question for you uh, in, in regards to uh, policy. I believe the CDC has put this out, but if, if someone in your school has contact, right, or someone has a positive test, um, have is there specific guidance yet on how long your school needs to be closed and 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 a cleaning process There's a question so if you look at i was going to say if you look at the the guidance that came out this week um there actually is a, a there's some decision trees and there is also um a checklist 
of what you're supposed to be doing and when you ask things. So someone had in the chat asked, what if a kid in a class gets diagnosed with COVID? So if you look at that, that resource, it tells you that if you, if someone has been exposed, you have to ask, you would ask people if they've been exposed, but if you know that that class was exposed to a child, then that class, those kids who are in that classroom are all home for 14 days mm -hmm. under the guidance that was issued this week. Is that the school um, kit you're talking about, Lisa? Like the school kit, the, the school kit guidance, not the one. Yeah. The, the strong, the strong schools, yeah, North strong Carolina. Schools. Yep. To, it, there's a symptom screening checklist, um, one for middle and high school and one for elementary school. And one of the things that is asked is, have you had close contact with me, which means within six feet for at least 15 minutes in the last 14 days with someone who's been diagnosed with COVID or has the health department or health provider been in contact with you and advised you to quarantine? And so if, so if you use that as your guidance of, oh, we had a kid who was diagnosed in our classroom, then you would use this guidance and it says the person, if the answer is yes, the classroom of kids was in contact with that student for more than 15 minutes and more than six feet apart, then that, any of those kids cannot return to school for 14 days. So, um, so I would, you know, for me, I'm looking at this toolkit and, and trying to read, you know, to problem solve through the guidance of the toolkit, even though it might di not directly be on point for some of these questions. Um, but there is, you know, if you've been in contact, there is the 14 day, you know, at home. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to shut the school down. It is going to depend on where that kid went, how quickly they were diagnosed. I mean, I think this goes to your point, Tom. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves and try to imagine all the things that could happen because the reality is we can't imagine. We just have to look at the guidance and be prepared to be on the alert for things as they arise and, um, and, and not and, and try, even though this is a, you know, uncertain and we're, and we're guessing here um, to just you know, think about more of the immediate steps and what you need to be on the lookout for versus trying to problem solve all the possible things that could happen. But just to clarify, that would yeah. include the teacher if the teacher yes. was exposed, right? Absolutely. It mm -hmm. would include the teacher if the teacher was exposed. Right. Okay. Um, and I do think there was a question earlier that someone asked about, or maybe Tom or Katie, you mentioned about um, thinking about learning for kids um, whose parent, parents don't want to send them or they have a high risk, that, that toolkit or whatever we want to call it, that guidance also talks about that. Um, and I believe there's a county right now that's, that was in the paper yesterday considering remote learning for any student who doesn't want to come to school, whose parents don't want them to come to school in the fall. Um, so I think that's, a, and I, I think those are things that we're going to have to face. Um, whether it's a kid who has their own medical condition that means that they can't come into school because of their high risk or they live with someone that that is at high risk those are certainly considerations that schools are going to have to prepare for yeah absolutely uh, um, yesterday um our friend at shining rock josh morgan who is on the call now shared some information with me that i'd like for him to share with everyone too just in case they missed it 
So Josh, can you unmute yourself or can Katie, can you unmute him? Yes, I can. I, I okay. think I may be unmuted now. So You're I, good. All Thanks. right. Uh, no, and it was one of those things that I, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Stegall was able to actually type it in there because in, it's one of those things when you heard it, you weren't sure that you actually heard what you heard. Um, but the, the emergency operations uh, for the state, they're, they're actually uh, going to be providing some things to LEAs and charters. Uh, so for, uh, if you have a school nurse, and, and that was one of the things that we did here at Shining Rock, which is what got my attention to start with, is, is we, uh, we're going to have a, a, a school nurse to help abate some of these things and put some of these procedures in place. Uh, but they're going to provide for every school nurse um, a face shield, uh, surgical masks, and surgical gowns. So if you have a school nurse, you should get all of those materials uh, for them. Um, the other thing that they were going to be providing was a one thermometer for every 100 students. So, you know, I know that we've had some, we, we've ordered some thermometers, um, but of course they're on back order just like everybody else. But um, the, the fact that they've, I think, it sounds like they've got some to distribute uh, through all of that as well. So that, that was, um, it was one of those things I was glad he typed it in because when I heard it, I wasn't sure I had heard what I heard. Um, you know, so, so it was pretty good news on that front of things. They, they did touch on the e-procurement pieces there as well. And, and it sounds like uh, that is a lot of um, still in development. Uh, with that as far as that's concerned. I, I, it didn't sound like they had a whole lot of specific guidance to go with from there. And if somebody else, there, there were several of you who were on that call yesterday as well. If you got a different take than, than that, um, I, I really, it sounded like we're going to get more information on that process next week. Thanks, Josh. I think that's uh, good for everybody to know just in case they didn't uh, hear it or see it yesterday. And I'm like you, uh, it was good, you know, great to see that in writing because to hear it, you're like, wait, did I really hear that? <laughs> so thank you. And if we could loop back to, yeah, thank you, Josh. You're always, you always send us good information. Um, uh, so Tammy Finch had a question about staffing and she said question for later, but I think uh, Lisa has some ideas for us for that. Yeah. So, um, and this is a big question. So we, we talked about kids and what you do when they have high risk or live with high risk people. Um, what do you do about staff? And, and I know this is like a famous thing for attorneys to do, and I'm going to say it, it depends. Um, a staff cannot self-designate them at high risk. And I, I think we've talked about this briefly before. There are a few issues that can go on with staff. One is a staff member lives with someone who is at high risk. Um, outside of the two weeks of leave that they get under the emergency paid sick leave statute um, that is in effect till the end of the year, there is nothing that you can do or that you are required to do with respect to a staff member who lives with someone who's at high risk. If the staff member themselves is at high risk, there is an inquiry that you would make and, um, and you would have to look at it through the lens of the Americans with Disabilities Act to decide whether there's an accommodation, what that what accommodation would look like. And I know the guidance said that you should work with them to see about alternative arrangements, but it, 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 there isn't working with them 
doesn't mean they definitely get the alternative arrangement. It doesn't mean they definitely don't. It's going to be very fact specific, but be really be aware that um, if someone is at high risk themselves, who is a staff member, you do have to go through that Americans with Disabilities Act interactive process, which requires getting certain documentation from them. Um, and you may want to be proactive now in communicating expectations to staff um, on return to work in the fall and, and, and ask them now if they have, you know, not singling people out, of course, but, you know, if you have concerns about, you know, what we're going to be doing in the fall, please come talk to me and, and so that you are, are prepared and aren't, and, you know, right when school starts, you've got five teachers who are like, I'm not coming. Um, so um, I would encourage you to start thinking about those things now because they are a little more complicated than a yes or no answer. So do you think everyone needs to just refer to their uh, attorney, uh, Tammy Finch is wondering, or do you feel like the guidance is going to be clear enough that the schools? The state can't answer these questions because they're very individualized. So they can say generally work with people. Um, and, and But if you have someone who comes to you and so they say, look, I have type two diabetes and I'm at high risk. Um, uh, you know, I don't feel comfortable coming in. And then you can say, oh, you know, I want to telework. Well, if everybody is back in school and all the kids are expected to be back in school, you know, they need to be there. But if they say they can't, you got to say, okay, well, I need you to go to your doctor. Here's the, um, you know, here are the here are the forms that you need to have filled out because one, you have to get confirmation and then you have to decide what, what makes sense um, at the time. Um, and these will probably be very fluid situations because this is, this whole pandemic is fluid, but you, you can't, the, the guidance from the state is just, you need to work with people. How you work with people when it is their medical condition is going to depend on the very specific medical condition and the specific this specific staff member and their specific duties and what per precautions can be taken to protect them while enabling your school to be able to function. So there isn't going to be some magical word from um, from the state on that. Um, I will say this um, as a related matter: there is. Um, potential legislation that will be going to Congress or might be going to Congress, which would provide some immunity for schools from um, a, uh, if someone wanted to bring a claim related to COVID, even, so if you start hearing about that, that doesn't mean it's gonna be a panacea. And remember, employees are different than students. You have an obligation under under the Americans with Disabilities Act and under OSHA to take steps with your staff. And, and Congress is, I cannot imagine that they're going to, to, um, to vitiate those, those types of obligations. That would be a substantial change in, in I mean, it would, be, it would be a sea change. So if you start hearing that this is percolating, it's really gonna be about litigation related to you know, a kid's family suing you rather than an employee not, not being able to come to work. Um, so these are complicated. I realize I wish I had a better answer, but th that's the best answer I have right now. Um, and I do like Stephen Gay's um, 
thing, who's going to represent you in court? Yeah, the state's not. Um, that's for sure. Okay, Lisa, perfect. So, so, yeah, so oh, I was just uh, thinking out loud. So, so just like a question, like, this job requires me to lift 100 pounds, you know, that is, you know, sometimes on applications without violating any, you know, rights. I mean, can you be asking that? Is that what you're saying is to start asking your staff those questions now? Like who, you know, who has, you know, something that they're willing to disclose or can disclose? Because they don't have to disclose it, right? No, no. The, the questions I would do, what, what I've been encouraging schools is to, some are, some have had uh, do staff surveys, but to say, you know, here's our plan for the fall. Our plan is that everyone is coming back to school, you know, barring some, you know, change, but everyone's going to come back to school August 17th or whatever your start date is. And, you know, the, we, we do intend to take precautions consistent with um, any governor's orders, any DPI guidance, any CDC guidance. But the plan is you're coming back to school um, and COVID is still going to be around. If you have concerns about that, please come talk to me, reach out to me and let's have a dialogue. Um, because you're, you're right, Tom, you can't, you, you, you certainly can't require people to, but if you set the expectation that there isn't going to be teleworking and that people are going to need to be in the classrooms with kids during COVID, then if someone has a medical situation that they know they can't do that, they should be coming to you. Um, and, and, and having that statement that, you know, please come to me if you have concerns or questions about what this means for you, should start that dialogue. And I would do it now versus waiting later because you've got to figure out what your personnel is going to be to be educating students. Yeah, and me, you know, me as a board member, uh, I just invited our uh, legal counsel into our governance meeting because we were having a lot of questions from our staff about how they're protected. And I mean, we just went through a lot of these questions and just talked about those unintended consequences. So, you know, looking at your FMLA policies, making sure you know, you have it. I mean, to, to spend a few hundred dollars to have your lawyer in those types of meetings and to maybe communicate to your staff, um, that's huge, right? Because you're preparing on the front end and you're educating everybody because everybody doesn't know. There's a lot of bad information out there or like a lot of unknown information. And in the absence of information, we assume the worst. So don't assume the worst. Stay close to the people that are going to be protecting you in court and protecting you from risk management and invest the time right now in that expertise to get them to look at you know, your current policies in place. So you're not on the back end, you know, spending hours and hours and weeks in litigation over something that could have been solved. Lisa, we had a question. Uh, how would you handle it if you have someone who is high risk, but they want to work? So great question. If someone wants to work, you cannot interfere with that. So that's their choice. Um, and, and, and you can't even ask about it and say, hey, we wanna, you cannot be um, paternalistic. You, you, you open it up for people to say, if they wanna talk to you about it and if they don't, and they wanna come to work, more power to them. Um, you know, um, you can't, unfortunately, you can't single out people for protection, even if it's, it's meant to help that person. Um, the, the other thing I want to remind everybody is, so we all went out of school right after or while Congress was passing that Families First Act and 
I know I talked about this when all these calls started about the emergency family medical leave or the, the expanded family medical leave and the emergency paid sick leave. Remember that the emergency paid sick leave is a one time a year thing and only for this year. So if you had anybody who used that up already, there is no more left. It's a two week period that you get. It's not an indefinite. And I've had this question come up with a number of schools where an employee says, because the, the expanded emergency medical leave, if you recall, there's six reasons, six or seven reasons, which is you've been quarantined, someone in your family's been quarantined, um, you have symptoms, um, you've been diagnosed, you, uh, uh, it's all related to that. So if someone wants to use up their two weeks, there's no more two weeks under that law. Um, and that law expires January, uh, December 31st. I would, I would think it's gonna continue um, one way or another into next year, but it is a two week period. And, and also be mindful of there is still that expanded family medical leave. And that applies to every single one of you, whether you have 10 employees or a hundred employees. Um, and that is only for a childcare situation. So rem remember that if any of your staff have kids and they lose their childcare because of COVID, they're gonna be entitled to that. Um, and that's a 12-week entitlement. Um, and it is paid at two-thirds of your rate, and you get to write off that two-thirds on your uh, payroll taxes. But just a refresher that that's still hanging out there, and you need to be aware of it. Okay. Great reminder. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. That's really helpful. Um, I have two more questions. One, uh, Rhonda, can you clarify about the um, the start date for schools like so the question is do charters have to open on the 17th or is that just for district schools that is only for district schools okay and then i know we've talked about this but just for clarity's sake so about the um the 185 or 1025 hours plus five remote learning days, plus five full instructional calendar days. Are those five remote learning days, are they, they considered full instructional days? Uh, for whatever, you know, you're, yes, essentially yes. Okay, so if you wanna do 185 days, you need to, to get it to 190, and then if you do 1025, five times whatever your school day is, that's what your total needs to be. Right. Right, okay, perfect. Then another question that came out was, um, does anybody have a remote attendance policy for plan B, plans B or C that they could share? And if you um, have a link, you can put it in the chat or you can send it to Tom, Rondo or myself and we can get it out to everybody. Yeah, one of the things that I answered on that question was Granville Academy is a, is a district school in, in the Granville County. 40% of their week is, um, on like on campus, 60% of the week is off campus. So I've asked uh, Bill, um, who's the principal, to spend some time with us at some point over the summer, and he can talk a little bit more, you know, about that one once we have some better information. But you know, um, and you can also use the North Carolina Charter Schools; they have uh, policies about attendance and all those pieces on remote. So they're already in existence. Um, we could, you know, we could pull them down and send them out to everybody. Um, okay. But that's a, we don't necessarily need a policy yet because we don't necessarily have an answer. 
uh, it would be great if the state specifically, uh, maybe that's a good question for the state is, will you provide us a policy for mm-hmm. B and C? Um, or our you know, legal counsel you know, might be able to, to help with that, so. Okay, so it sounds like, um, we, I think we've gone through all the questions that were in the chat. If I've missed one or uh, you know, just put it back in there because we want to make sure everybody gets addressed. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's pivot to our experts who've joined the call and we can um, you know, start with Acadia Northstar. We have Amanda. Amanda, anything you wanted to share with the group today? Um, just one thing that, that came up earlier today, actually, we had a client ask about transferring funds um, for reading devices into PRC 154. And I, I went back and looked at the PRC 154 guidelines and it says in there that funds can be transferred in. So I'm guessing where that's where they got the information from. Um, however, I reached out to DPI and they stated that charter schools cannot transfer funds um, any funds that drop into PRC 036, which you know is your basically your general fund, cannot be transferred into PRC 154. So, if anyone was looking at that, even though it says that in the PRC 154, <laughs> charters can't transfer out of 036 into 154 and use that money for um, COVID expenses. Okay, perfect. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so let's go to your colleague, Cass. Cass, did you have any updates for us today? I might have caught Cass off guard. Nope, you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, the only thing that we've received um, in regards to student information in terms of updates, other than what we've covered in the past weeks, is um, regarding the transcripts mm-hmm. uh, for CFNC releasing to colleges. Um, it looks like the state has decided to push that back to a date after June 24th. Um, and then from there, it'll be based on standard system protocol, which is 10 days after the diploma issued date is populated in PowerSchool. Um, that was kind of a, a pretty big change from the way things typically were. Um, and a lot of that has to do with all of the grading questions um, that the state has been running into from schools. Um, whether they still have questions about the policy or whether they had some storing grades issues. Um, but in any event, uh, the state did uh, extend the timeline by which the College Foundation of North Carolina will be releasing e-transcripts to colleges, um, and that is pushed to June 24th. Um, so what they are asking is that all final marks um, and all graduates have their diploma issue date um, in power school uh, before June 24th. Okay, perfect. And, uh, and congratulations on baby two coming. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> That's exciting stuff. Uh, you're going man to man now so that you're getting I'm the done. big time. <laughs> We've lost zone for sure. Hey, That's right. Hey Cass, um, yes. you, you might not have an answer to this, right? But one of the main questions that charter school leaders are trying to get an answer to and they don't have the guidance yet is around counting ADM if we're in plan B or plan C. And you probably don't have a solution, but as we continue to work through this, this is gonna be guidance that our leaders are going to need. Um, So I don't know if you've heard anything yet, not necessarily what the guidance is, but what are some ways 
um, you know, besides the way that the North Carolina charter schools already do it, which is just what we we're all doing for remote, you know, learning, just having kids do some sort of like entrance, you know, ticket or turn in an assignment for attendance. Right. Is there anything else that you guys have been hearing or hearing from your schools that worked out really well in terms of counting membership? To, to be honest with you, Tom, um, as much as that is definitely one of those trial and error things, schools are trying different me methods and seeing how they work out. I think a lot of schools are still in the trial method. Um, and so we have not been privileged to anything other than kind of what you've stated in terms of uh, some Google Docs that are sent out for students to fill out and or just participation in regards to assignments being turned in so that attendance can be keyed so that ADM can be calculated. Um, outside of that, to be honest with you, the guidance is, is, is very slim right now. Um, right. I wish I had more, nope. um, but, but you answered, you answered the question perfectly, right? So <laughs> everybody can stop worrying about it and just do what we know. What we know right now is you can do it by an entrance, you know, question. You can do it by hitting a button and, you know, checking in or doing some sort of work or. Um, you know, whatever it may be, but right now, this is how the virtual schools from across the country all do it. And every guest as speaker, we've had two guests as speakers in our exceptional children's call on Wednesdays, both said this, this is how they do it. Joel Medley said, you know, this is how they do it from K-12. So there isn't a magic secret right now that we have to be trying to figure out. It's just use what has worked best for you at this point and make sure as Kelly Painter said, that it is specifically identified in your um, part 11 of your remote learning plan. I hope I got that right. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's part 11, section 11 or- Yeah, component 11. 11. Component 11 of your novel that you're going to turn in by July 20th, right? July 20th, is that right? Or is it 22nd? 22nd. 22nd for that one. The jump That's starts right. the 20th. That's right. Got it. Thanks Cass for- answering that question as best as you could. Absolutely, thank you guys. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to insurance people. We have Hadley Wilson with us. What, what do you have to share today, Hadley? You always have good stuff too. Hey, Katie and Tom, thanks for having us. Um, so today the big thing we've been talking about is a new BioX system. It's an air cleaning system um, where it's made here in North mm -hmm. Carolina by a North Carolina company, and we're working with them to try and get a, a scientist on the call to talk about how it works um, and see if we can get some bulk discount pricing for all of our schools. Um, it's better than a, it's similar to a HEPA filter, but better than a HEPA filter um, to take out COVID out of the air and any other um, bacteria or viruses that could be airborne in your school. Um, so I'll work with y'all to get hopefully a scientist on to talk to y'all about that and some um, discount pricing. Um, the other thing we wanted to mention again is a webinar next week from Utica National. It's on the 16th. Um, if anybody needs a link to that, let me know. It's on safely reopening the schools and there's a, an infectious disease expert will be talking um, and and then and another expert in the field, um, I believe an attorney, school district attorney up um, to, to speak on 
how to safely reopen. I mean, you guys are getting a lot of guidance from state of North Carolina. Um, this might just be another, another resource for you. And lastly, we're still doing a lot of um, employee navigator demonstrations. That's a um, employee benefit tool we've rolled out through the Charter School Association. Um, keep all of your benefits in one place and then um, be able to track PTO. Um, these, these things Lisa Gordon Sell was talking about two weeks off. Um, maybe, you know, being able to track that online and then integrate it with your payroll or working with the KD on getting it integrated. Um, but if anybody's looking to, you know, shop that this summer or has more, wants more information on it, please let us know. All right. Thank you, Hadley and Steve. Uh, yeah, and let's talk about getting that scientist on, on the horn. I know everybody especially discounts, that's, you know, like a favorite word here. So we would love to learn and see how we can, um, you know, serve our, our schools. Thank you. Uh, so let's go to Olivia Myers with Steve Joyner. What do you have for us today, Olivia? Um, I just wanted to remind everyone that the FCC Form 479 is due, um, and I can link that here as well if anyone did not get a copy of that, but that's for anyone that uses the E-rate funds or if you have internet provided from the state through the NCRN network, um, you have to fill that out once a year. Um, and that's the big thing that's due right now. What, what's the report called again? Uh, the right. FCC 479. The FCC 479? Yes. Yeah, listen everybody. I know you're getting a thousand emails, but there are reports due that are really critical. You don't want to fall out of compliance. And I believe at the state board meeting this morning, right, Rhonda, they kind of threw us under the bus a little bit for not having all of our technology surveys done, um, which slowed down the process. I'm sure it wasn't just us, but uh, we were the only ones mentioned. So if there's any reporting due, as much as we can help everybody out with just reminders and just you know, check in with your charter school brothers and sisters. Like we're all overwhelmed, right? But the last thing we want to do is get being a newspaper for not, you know, doing something. We got enough, you know, folks out there that don't think we should exist. So, um, so, so just be conscious of that. So, thank you, Olivia. That was that report. And what's the due date? I'm sorry, my friend. Um, just before July one. Okay, so June thirtieth. Yeah. End of the month. Uh, yeah. Just to defend my charter school friends. There were 11 LEAs that also did not respond to that survey. So yeah, did they uh, say that but, out loud? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it out loud. I don't know if they did. Hey guys, let me tell you, I, I do the E-rate for our school and this is the simplest thing that you will do with E-rate. It's, it's honestly, there's nothing simple about E-rate, but this is the simplest form that you will fill out. So just. Right. We'll do it. Yeah. I also attached instructions that you exactly what to fill in space by space so i'll put that into this like two document. minutes perfect Thanks, anybody else that i i'm missing tom i don't see i think those are all of our our resident experts steve um, just wants hey, to remind everybody that the, the jump start is due Jump starts due June the 22nd, right, Steve? You got the 20th, or 20th is due, no? 
Well, maybe I had the date wrong. Uh, Rhonda has July 20th for the remote instruction no, plan. I'm sorry. Let, let me uh, get this right. Okay. So okay. the remote instruction plan is due July 20th and the jump start is June 22nd. All right. Let's get it up here. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll clear. I'll put that. Sorry about that, y'all. I'll fix it. No worries. I feel like I'm a little bit late to the party on the jump start thing. Could we really briefly just tell us what's that about for those of us who are late to the party? It actually wouldn't apply to you because you're grades 6 through 12, right? It's only grades K4, Rhonda? Right. Yeah, it's grades Probably why I've not heard of it. Okay, thank you. But anybody who's, who's, who serves grades K through four, it's you know basically like you used to do your summer reading camps and things like that. It's pretty much that. But Rhonda had a specific quote that was said at the, at the, at the meeting, right, Rhonda, that you need to say out loud. It's for any student who... Who shows um, evidence of being behind as a result of the COVID-19 school closure. That's, that's it. So almost every child, probably K-4. Right. Uh, so Lisa Gordon-Stella, you wanted to talk about social media. Uh, just briefly, I had a couple of questions of people asking about social media with respect to um, a lot of what's going on. And I just wanted to remind people that um, there isn't a lot that schools or any employer can do with respect to what folks say in their off time. Um, and you all should have, you know, social media policies that reiterate that it is important that people are thoughtful in their social media communications. But again, you, there's not much you can do um, unless there are specific threats or harassment made into your school community. Um, now, if there are things that are said on social media that um, somehow, you know, get attributed to the school, you know, you can certainly um, have a conversation about that, but just be careful about um, taking any action against uh, employees in particular based on what they, they say in the, in the uh, social media realm. Um, and, and, and I would say that if you have, you know, a specific issue, do reach out to counsel to make sure you're handling it right because these things can escalate. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, as with everything else, this too will pass. Um, and what seems to get people up in a frenzy, um, sometimes you just have to let people be heard and, and sit back. Um, but there are times when, you know, if things are get going in a direction that is impacting the school or the school's perception, that you should, you know, you should seek some expert advice um, out there because, um, it, it does matter what people perceive, how people perceive your school, um, but just be careful. Hey everybody, isn't there like a, um, it's the health and, it's like the end of the year health, health and safety report or like a diabetes like button you got to hit. Isn't there something coming up that's another report due? Anybody? I know you have to do it. You probably don't know you have to do it. All right, I'll check on it. Tammy Finch was saying it was not required this year. Not required this year, okay, thank you. Buffy and Tammy was pushed back. All right, perfect. But there is something, I don't know exactly what it's called, but all right. 
I'll take it off. Taking so something I, off the list. Everybody loves that. Yeah. <laughs> but these dates are correct, right? Jumpstart June 22nd, E-rate June 30th, remote learning plan July 20th. Yes? Everybody confirm that? Looks good. Okay, thank you. Anything, uh, who else? Uh, Kelly Painter saying power school reports, don't forget. Power school reports. When do they do, Kelly? If you could drop that in the chat or just hop on the line. Oh, and your discipline report. There's an ADM thing due tomorrow, if that's the right name for it. It's projections for next year, your projected enrollments for next year. Are all these things maybe in the Office of Charter Schools newsletter? If they're not, someone should ask that they are in a nice, clear list. Like the one you're typing up? Yeah, that'd be nice. Please, please confirm. With a due date. Uh, so, so June 12th is the projected enrollment due date and Power School reports. Do we have those dates, Katie? Uh, Kelly saying power school reports June 30th and then Natalie says the, uh, the projections due tomorrow. Mm -hmm. All right. And she said, maybe it's today. So if you haven't done it. And the year stuff. Yeah. So I want to make sure that everybody saw this word that I highlighted. What do you need to know today to make a decision for tomorrow? That's really all you need to worry about is tomorrow. I know you guys want to think really big a picture and have all these ducks in a row because that's why you are charter school leaders. That's why you are principals. But the only thing you need to know for the future is the vision. Right, and that's under these uh, buckets that we've all agreed that we put under, and that's what your school, your return to school committees have all these. We got human safety and training our staff and student learning and education and finance. That's your vision. And then all you need to know is what decision do I have to make to get to tomorrow? And just take it one day at a time. And every piece of guidance that comes in, it's gonna make it a little bit easier for you to climb up that hill. Because everything worthwhile is uphill, everybody. Right, Rhonda? uphill that's right and Rhonda will continue to work you know for you uh, and and serve you and ask questions and we're constantly asking questions to the state so uh, help us by help you're right help us by just feeding us information keeping us in the know of what's happening because we're not on state lists to get emails and things um, so it's really important uh, that that uh, Rhonda is fully educated and aware of what is happening so we can uh, make those plans. So there's EC, uh, yeah, it's due the 10th. And there is the SRO grant that's due tomorrow in CCIP. If you're choosing to enroll, that, that's right. optional. What was the second part of the SRO grants and what? The did you get the EC money? I just was saying SRO grants are due tomorrow oh, in gotcha. CCIP. Oh, do in okay. Okay. Anything else, everybody? That was a lot. Mm -hmm. So your homework obviously is to start reading through the two large documents of guidance. If you haven't started your return to school committee, but educate or you know, make sure they have access to these resources 
And so all these, you know, teachers and, and, you know, parts of your team, everybody can be in charge of one of these sections. You as the head of the school do not need to be in charge of all of these parts. Right? Everybody right. agree? Say, I agree in the chat box if you agree that you do not have to be in charge of doing, you're responsible that they all happen, but you're not responsible for doing them all. You're responsible for creating the vision and just making sure that it gets done. Right, we have two, three, here we go. All right, good. Josh agrees, Mary Jo agrees. Perfect, Annette and Maria, okay, perfect. All right, Rhonda, go ahead. Last, uh, last words from the North Carolina Association. I think you have like a giant virtual conference coming up or something soon, yes? Well, yeah, I do. And I am so excited about it. It's just blown up more than I ever dreamed it would. So I'm blessed. Uh, thank you to all of you who have signed up. Um, we have over 375 people signed up so far and some amazing presentations for you. Uh, SEL, EC, financing, um, uh, child sexual abuse and trafficking. There's just all kinds of information we'll be sharing, trying to make it as relevant as possible in regards to opening school. To, uh, I, you know, always think about what do my people need? What do my people need? So that's what I'm doing. And uh, if there is a specific topic you would like to hear about or something that you're an expert in, let me know and we'll talk about it. Maybe we can add it to the agenda. We also have two great keynote speakers, Corey DeAngelis, who is a bulldog for school choice. I can't wait for y'all to hear him. And then we also have Sharif el Mecki, who is a great charter school advocate, principal of a school in Philadelphia. So um, I can't wait for you all to be a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, Ron. That's going to be lots of fun for everybody. And it's pretty much, um, it's going to be the biggest conference ever, right? Because every school can invite every employee and board member. Yes? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Tom, can I share an upcoming uh, workshop that I'm hosting or that we're hosting? So if, yeah, we have, we still have 30 people on the call. So if you, you know, if you have things that you want to purchase for your school and you just don't have the money, I am hosting a grant writing workshop and the price is right. It's $35. So if you have a teacher you'd like to empower or you have a board member you'd like to empower, sign them up for the class. I can, you know, we can include the link. Um, it's on our website, but it's, it'll be a four session class starting June 24th and I'll record it if you can't come at 4.30 in the afternoon and we'll send it out, uh, but we will actually look for grants during the class. You will find one and you will draft one. So by the time you finish July 15th, you'll have an application. I've been able to get four and a half million dollars for schools and by next month I should be able to say 10.3 because the NC Access grants have been uh, are going through the system and it's not rocket science. So let me help you empower your people. Sounds good, Katie. And at three o'clock today, we've got our teacher leader consortium kickoff call. So everybody's welcome on that one. Uh, and the link is in there if anybody wants to register. So thanks to all of our experts, Lisa Gordon-Stella, as always overworking overtime, Olivia Myers from, from Steve Joyner Consulting, and Hadley and Steve Griffin from the insurance people and Amanda, from Acadia and Cass from Acadia and this Sarah's on with us and Robin and everybody at Acadia North Star. 
and Rhonda Dillingham. Thanks again, as always, uh, keeping us in the forefront. So thanks, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.